I'm just getting myself organized. it I think um, just need a bit more red light just for the top of my I'm just joking yeah. I've been trying to tan the top of my head a bit so good welcome to you if you're a guest today welcome it's so great to have you with us if you are joining us online or you're watching this later and it's your first time with us welcome to you it's so good to have you with us today wonderful um, so uh, rolling start we're going straight in virtually the only announcement is just to say that Janine is now in place as our new operations manager. Good for Janine. And uh, if you're wanting toys, the treetop toy store in Scottborough, that's where you'll find Dwayne with a lot of toys for you, even for your kids. All right, good. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I might just need to grab my order down there as I almost ripped this thing off. We are continuing with a series, Is This It? on the end times. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you so much. Cute, thank you. Um, and so we began the series on the 13th of June. It feels like it was the start of the year with everything that's happened. It's weird. It feels like so much has happened since then, but that's when we started. That felt very much like season one. And then I was in and out of hospital at one stage. That was like season two. We had uh, guys like Stan Phipps, Brent Brading, some of our elders who were sharing very much on those first two chairs, seeking and saving the lost and mobilizing the priesthood, which speaks very much of discipleship. Those are very key end times themes. Now, I say this very carefully, I'm not making light or making fun of what I'm going through, the whole challenges I face. But there is something almost a little ironic about starting a series called Is This It? And a few weeks later, you are diagnosed both with cancer and a life-threatening blood disorder on top of that. It was like, seriously? Okay, so thankfully I'm still here by God's grace and power a few months later. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And uh, I certainly do have faith and a vision for life here still beyond chemotherapy. That's what I'm trusting God for. And so there are, so if I've had people, sorry, there will be some news hopefully in the next week or so, just some more feedback from the doctors. So I'm just waiting for that. But uh, thank you again for your prayers, your encouragements, the words that you send. Oh, I tell you, they just, I can't express in words how important they are. So thank you so much for that. So turning to that question, is this it in terms of the return of Jesus? So we are closer than ever before, obviously, that goes without saying, but I do feel like I wouldn't think that the return of Jesus is a week or two away. Let's put it that way. And especially when we look at a scripture like this one in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, where Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. People, again, interpret this differently. The way that I read this and understand this, there are still unreached people groups. We need to reach with the gospel. That is like the box that needs to be ticked. I think this is the most important sign of them all. When that's done, the way is really then open for the king to return. All right, so, but we certainly are closer than ever, and we need to live ready for his return. I trust that will come through today as well. So, a quick recap, in case you weren't with us, or we all need reminders, don't we? So, remember that um, we said that this is, in fact, even before we get there, let's talk about so one of the preaching themes through this year, you might have picked up, is a real theme of faith, of living with faith. Um, earlier in the year, we had a series on the book of James, which was called Living Faith. Two weeks ago, we had Donnie Kroblar with us, and uh, he is, the, the title of his message was Keep Following. Keep on following Jesus, especially through these challenging times that we are going through. Hold on to faith. Remain steadfast. Don't give up. 
Keep your eyes on him. So that theme we're kind of extending in the series. We're kind of looking even further down the road. And the central question that we're asking is this in this series. Here we go. In these challenging, uncertain times that we find ourselves living in, how should we live with faith towards the future and especially towards the return of Jesus? That's really what we're looking at. To put it another way, we're looking at keeping on following Jesus all the way through to the end, even to the return of our King. All right, so that's what we're looking at. So in season one, we uh, started with a focus on the book of two Thessalonians, which I said could be surprising for some because you'd think, well, must we go to Revelations or Daniel or something like that. And yet, in the second, excuse me, in second Thessalonians, Paul focuses quite a lot on end times themes. In fact, in the previous letter that we call one Thessalonians, in each of its five chapters, he speaks of the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he continues that focus on the return of the king as he moves into um, the second letter to Thessalonians. That was quite an echo. Eh? All right. That wasn't the space inside my head. Don't worry. Okay. So let me remind you again about some of the background to this letter, okay? Paul had been very concerned for this young church in Thessalonica, and he wasn't able to get there himself, so he sent Timothy to go and check out and see how it was going. Timothy came back with a pretty good report, but there were some concerns, and so Paul wrote this letter to them that we have as First Thessalonians. And, and generally, they believe the date is somewhere between 49 to 51 AD, which would mean that this letter is quite possibly the first book of the New Testament that was written and published. So even though the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, cover events that took place earlier than this, they were only published in their final form later on. Okay, so this could, first Thessalonians could be one of the, perhaps even the first book of the New Testament. And it's believed then that having written that letter, perhaps even just a few weeks later, Paul wrote two Thessalonians because he'd got some more reports now of uh, some, some troubling, concerning issues, and so he wrote this letter to address those concerns. Okay. The really important point that I don't want you to miss is that this was a church that were going through hard times, and it seems as if they were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. So Paul writes the second letter as well as the first to encourage them and to strengthen them in their faith, and he does so consistently more than anything else by pointing them not just to Jesus but to the return the second coming of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And that's, he encourages them with us, and he wants us to do likewise. All right, so that's why 1 and 2 Thessalonians, so irrelevant for us today. We're going through challenging times, and we too need to keep our eyes on Jesus and also our eyes on the return of the King too, and that should be something that encourages us and really strengthens us as well. All right, so we got up to the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. You might remember it was the third Sunday of season one, uh, so they're tongue-in-cheek where Laurie actually preached the message for me. You might remember, she took my notes, she did a great job. But we had said there that she would uh, skip down to later in the chapter, she'd leave the first part for me. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to dive right into chapter 2, and we'll begin with verses 1 to 4. Even there, we won't get through all of this. There's so much in here. Okay, so here we go. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so much here. So 
Let's begin that Paul, uh, we begin by recognizing that Paul describes the returning of Jesus and our gathering to meet him. The, the Greek word is episynagogue. It's uh, like an assembling of the believers. So we call that the rapture. <laughs> the rapture, okay? Something that really excites us as Christians. And Paul describes the rapture in more detail in his earlier letter. So let's go and have a look at that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What a glorious event, eh? I mean, they try to capture something like this in movies. I mean, we can only begin to imagine, friends, what this is going to be like. Eh? Imagine this. Paul really focuses here on this meeting that takes place in the, in the clouds. So you have Jesus coming down from heaven and then believers being gathered up to go and meet him in the sky. I mean, this is just incredible. Some say that it might be like, you know, when a king is, is triumphantly escorted back into, let's say, a city. So you have, you know, Jesus the meeting and maybe everyone coming down, you know, with Jesus. It's, it's possible. I think this is going to be, and I mean, to say it's going to be incredible sounds so stupid, eh? We don't have words that can describe everything and capture what this is going to be like. I, it's not going to be a little quiet affair, you know? A little, just a little quiet thing, okay? There's the, the loud command. There's, um, we see the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. I picture just angels celebrating. It's not just Jesus coming on his own. I mean, this is going to be awesome. Those who have, we see those who have passed away before the return of Jesus come with them. I mean, that's a whole lot of people. Picture that, eh? That's a whole bunch of people right there coming with Jesus, okay? What hope that gives us to as Christians. We don't grieve like the world does without any hope. No, the dead in Christ will come with them, and theirs will be the bodies resurrected first, even before we get gathered up to, to go and to, be, and to meet Jesus in the clouds. So notice, friends, Paul is saying that the return of Jesus and our rapture to be with him, this is something that should encourage us and we should use to encourage one another, especially when we're going through challenging times. Now that's it, okay? There was just something about the subject of the end times that just seems to bring out the weirdness when it comes to weird theories, weird teachings and prophecies, and even worse than that, friends, false teachings and false prophecies. And what we find, shouldn't surprise, what we find is that this was already a problem 2,000 years ago. That's what Paul is dealing with here, okay? So in the first, the first instance, in the first letter, if you have a look, thanks, thanks, Cheryl. So verses 15 and 17, he uses that phrase, we who are still alive. Not saying you are still alive or those who are still alive. He's saying we. Paul is including himself in that group. So Paul had an optimistic, hopeful expectation that he would still be alive when Jesus returned. Isn't that amazing? And Paul really believed that he could still be there when Jesus came uh, back again. Okay, now, so, but Paul is not saying that he would be. What had happened, though, is that some had, had turned this into a dogma. They, it seems that some had twisted Paul's words, and they were dogmatically teaching that every single Thessalonian Christian 
would still be alive when Jesus came back. But as time went by, people passed away. And this threw the church into a panic. What now? What about Brother Bob or Sister Sue? They did. Did they do something wrong? Did they sin? What's going to happen to them? They're going to miss out when Jesus returns. So there was this panic now among them. And Paul had addressed it. So the problem that Paul was dealing with was a situation where they thought the return of Jesus is taking too long. And those who've passed away, now they're going to miss out. They're going to lose out. Okay, so he has to deal with this. Paul corrects them. And he assures them that the dead in Christ will very much be part of what's going to happen at the end of times. They come back with Jesus. They receive their resurrected bodies. They're not going to miss out. Okay? He assures them of that. And I think, friends, there's a great lesson here again. We should live with optimistic hope of the return of Jesus in our lifetime, but also readiness. Paul was ready for the return of Jesus. But no one can ever say, either of themselves or someone else, you or I will definitely be alive when Jesus comes back. Obviously, we can't say something like that. That's what Paul had to correct. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, there was an altogether different problem. If you have a look there, thanks, Cheryl. The second verse. Paul is dealing with a teaching that allegedly came from him. And he said it could have been by way of a prophecy, inverted commas, a teaching, uh, an oral teaching, or a letter. It seems there might even have been a letter written by someone claiming to be Paul or writing on his behalf. And the false teaching was this. Sorry, boys and girls, you missed it. Jesus has already returned. The second coming has already taken place. And again, this through these poor Christians into a panic, okay? So, yeah, you could say the problem is that the return um, of Jesus had seemed to take uh, what had been, happened too quickly for them and that they'd missed out, okay? Now, I want to say to you, I can remember sort of in the 20s, not my, my 20s, not the 20s, I'm not that old, somewhere in uh, my 20s, we, we spoke often about like playing a practical joke where you stage a rapture scene, you know? Especially if you're out on a farm, somewhere. like some place that's a bit quieter and uh, wait till someone goes to shower or something, change out your clothes, put your clothes you're wearing on there, you know, like on a couch, chairs on the floor, shoes on the floor, overturn things, make it look like things are dropped. When the person comes back, there's no one there. Just empty clothing, shoes, stuff overturned. Would be quite fun, you've got to admit. Would be a good can of camera moment. Anyway, we never did that, okay? Would be a bit cruel. But there is still a teaching today, friends, that, that teaches this kind of thing, that the return of Jesus has already happened. So JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that, or they taught, that Jesus returned, in, an invisible return of Jesus on the 1st of October 1914. So for them, there is no hope of, a, of another return of Jesus that's already happened. Okay? So again, I say to you, the problem here was for these guys, the return of Jesus had happened too quickly. And again, Paul has to correct this. And he also he notes his concern with the impact of these false teachings and prophecies upon them, how easily swayed they are. In the New Living Translation, verse 2, it says, Paul says, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed. They were so easily blown off course by all these things coming that they forgot what he taught them when he was with them. And so the concern is, I still see this kind of thing happening in the church today, friends, really. You know, if you think about a lot of the... Uh, okay, so I'll choose my words carefully. There are many teachings out there, end times kind of teachings, things that are presented very often too on the internet. That if you look at it, the heart of it seems to be all about fear-mongering. It's trying to strike fear in the hearts of Christians. And I've, I've expressed my concern about that before because I don't see that in Scripture. I really don't. Especially, you go and read these two letters of Paul, First and Second Thessalonians, and try and catch that heart in Paul, trying to put fear in the church. He's not doing that. He's doing the opposite. He's using end times themes to encourage them and say, be strong in faith. Jesus is coming again. We need to look forward to this. We need to be ready. That's 
the heart of what he's saying, okay? And uh, we'll speak about that thing again of not fearing the future right at the end. But remember, one of the guardrails that we put in in place in the very first week of the series was that one to say that we've got to carefully distinguish between what the Bible clearly teaches, especially on the end times, and what are essentially nothing more than interpretations or explanations of man. It's so important, friends, that we don't blur those two. So important, okay? And uh, it can never, ever be that what are interpretations or explanations, and how good they might sound, they can never, ever be on the same level as scriptural authority. And for heaven's sake, we can never allow ourselves to be divided by different interpretations and explanations. What do you believe? Oh, that's different to me. Now, we've got no fellowship. I mean, that's crazy. That's not in Scripture. Remember where division comes from. I'll, just, I'll give you a clue. It's from below. All right. Here are some great quotes. Just two quotes I want to give you. Warren Wiersbe says this. The purpose of Bible prophecy is not for us to make a calendar, but to build character. Paul emphasized this fact in both of his Thessalonian letters. And our Lord warned us not to set dates for His coming. That's in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 and 32. Date setters are usually upsetters. And that is exactly what happened in the Thessalonican assembly. Mark Wheaton says this, Prophecy is not written so that we can predict what will happen in detail. Rather, it tells us of the main facts and general trends of what will happen so that we may cooperate with God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus. Prophecy tells us about the second coming, the triumph of the gospel, the greatness of the opposition against the gospel, and it warns us that the second coming may be delayed. All right? So if you look at this, what Mark Whedon says is that there are very clear themes that come through in biblical prophecy. There are things that are beyond dispute if you're a Christian. Jesus is coming again. We don't debate that. Of course, that's clear, 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 crystal clear. Might be delayed, might be longer than we expect, but he is coming. He is coming again. But the thing is this, friends, and please hear me, when it comes down to the details, the nuts and bolts of precisely how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen, now we're moving into the realm of interpretation and explanation. Nothing wrong with that, but just we need to distinguish between what is man's view, as much as we try to be inspired and led by the Holy Spirit, this is what we, how we see it, which can be different to this group, which can be different to this group. And this is Scripture, which stands above and beyond everything else. The, the truths here are incontestable, and we can't Try to elevate these things to this. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. All right. I think it's great. You know, uh, Christians, you, you want to study, let's say, the prophetic books like Revelation and Daniel. You want to grow in understanding. You want to, you want to grow in your understanding of different interpretations and explanations of how things can end. You, you want to grow in discerning the signs of the times. These are all, it's, it's nothing wrong with that. That's great, friends. It really is. But the danger is when we take one set of interpretations or explanations even our own, and we try to elevate it by almost suggesting that it can and will happen only like this. I don't believe Scripture permits us to do that. Okay, and you're welcome to come and show me to the contrary, but I, I honestly, I would agree with the guys like Ethan and those who say biblical prophecy helps us, but it is not the only one who possibly can explain the exact how and especially the when is God in heaven. Okay, come back to them in just a moment. Just if we need any further caution on this, let's remember what happened at the first coming of Jesus. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, probably knew the Old Testament scriptures better than most Christians know the New Testament, even though there's a lot less to it. Okay? Those boys could recite scripture, passages, poof. They studied the scripture. Okay? And in Old Testament prophecy, there were prophecies about the glory of the Messiah, and there were prophecies about the suffering servant, the suffering that the Messiah would go through. But in their interpretation, 
of the coming of the Messiah, it was based exclusively around the glory of the Messiah. And the way they interpreted this is that the Messiah would be glorified and also Israel would be restored to her former glory. And especially with something like the hated Romans being evicted from Israel. That is what they believed. And they were convinced about it. But as much as they convinced, they couldn't have been more wrong. And so friends, because of their misinterpretation of biblical prophecy, it meant they didn't just miss the Messiah when he came. But they were responsible for the brutal murder of the Son of God because they had misinterpreted Scripture. They hadn't got it right. Okay. Please hear me, friends. Again, it's not saying we mustn't try it. Um, please don't hear me saying it. We want to grow in our understanding of how things could be. By all means, we want the Spirit of truth to lead us. But just be so careful, friends. If anyone comes along and claims that they are 100%, I don't care who they are, by the way. I don't care how slickly they can talk, smoothly they can talk how many degrees they have behind their names, how many books they've read or written on end-time stuff. No matter what new teaching or formula they may unpack, which apparently no one else has before them, friends, no matter who it is, no one can claim to have it 100% accurate and correct with a precise timeline of exactly how things can end. We can only humbly offer that and say, this is how I see it. This is a possible way of explaining how things will end. Some are more right than others, obviously. But do you hear what I'm saying, friends? Only God in heaven knows exactly precisely how and when when it comes to the end times are we are you okay with that you with you with, okay if you've got any difficulties come and chat i'd love to all right paul says don't let anyone deceive you the day of the lord hasn't come yet you haven't missed it relax breathe okay jesus hasn't come back yet you can't miss the return of jesus and he points to two things that must happen among others but these are two things that must happen before jesus returns and that's the rebellion and in the, the revelation of the man of lawlessness who John calls Antichrist. And uh, we're going to look some more at, at that next week. Okay. I'm going to come back now to the great... Uh, uh, well, before I get on to that, let me speak about the rapture, the timing of the rapture. All right. So Jesus, remember, told us as his disciples, he tells us that in this world we're going to have trouble. And some of that trouble will be just by virtue of the fact that we're following him, that we are followers of Christ. We will be persecuted. Okay. So... And Donnie reminded us of that fact too. He said, just even because some of you, because we are following Jesus, we will get trouble in the form of persecution in this world. Now, I shared a series on two Thessalonians 10 years ago in 2011. It's actually 10 and a half years now. Okay? And so I'm going to ask you this question. How many of you think that life is more difficult now in 2021 than it was in 2011? All right? And like I said to the guys earlier, we tend to look at the past with rose-tinted spectacles, don't we? We always talk about, oh, the good old days. Everything was better in the good old days. So take off your rose-tinted spectacles. Be honest. How many would say that life now in 2021 you think is more difficult than 2011? Let's see by show of hands. What would you say? Mm. Probably more than less hands. And it's okay, by the way, if it was the other way around. That's great for you. But most people would probably say... I'm not sure about you and I'm sure you probably, many of you will be agreeing, is that 10 years on, things are more challenging and difficult. And so some Christians wonder if what we're going through right now, even with the pandemic, isn't like a kind of dress rehearsal. God almost preparing us for something that is coming by way of trouble. And the Bible describes that trouble as the tribulation or the great tribulation. It will be a time of trouble unlike the world has ever known. Okay? And so, for instance, we find a reference to this in Revelation 7, verse 13 and 14. To the great tribulation, um, we read this. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So as we understand it, the tribulation will be a time of great intense distress. Thankfully, a relatively short period of time, but this will be the wrath of God poured out on an unbelieving world. All right? And so a big question then that Christians have grappled with for centuries is this. Will we as Christians go through this great tribulation or the tribulation, or will we be raptured before it even begins? Now, broadly speaking, and this is very broadly speaking, because within this, there are all different schools of thought and whatever as well, but broadly speaking, there are two, there have always been two main camps, the pre-tribulationists and the post-tribulationists, okay? Remember, pre means before, post after. Now, I'm going to keep this really simple. By the way, in preparing again for this series, I came across a third one. It's a relatively new one. It's called mid-tribulationism. How many of you have heard of mid-tribulationism? Okay, there we go. Good, a couple of you. So I'm now looking into that a whole lot more myself. Also had some pretty darn good points. So I think I put it there. That was just tongue-in-cheek. Don't worry, we're not going to do that now because that will just, I think, horribly confuse everyone. So let's keep it simple, okay? Pre- or post-tribulation. The pre-tribulationists would say that the rapture will happen before the tribulation begins. So God will come and take His church, His believers, before the tribulation begins, okay? So things like your left behind, the movies, the books, if you watch the movies, read the books, that's a pre-tribulational view. Post-tribulation is obviously the opposite. So in other words, the church will need to go through a time of tribulation along with the world, and then the rapture will take place, and God will return, and Jesus will return for His church. Okay, so who's right on this? I mean, I remember researching this years ago. And some pretty respected Bible scholars were making strong, fervent arguments for a pre-tribulational view. In fact, even on Friday, I was reading this one commentary written by a guy, again, making some great points from a pre-tribulational kind of viewpoint. All right? And I must say, the mid-tribulational one seems to be trying to take the best of both. Uh, just from a quick reading of it, I'm, I want to read that one a whole lot more too. It actually looked pretty good too. But the thing is, there have traditionally been some challenges with a pre-tribulational view, and probably, I know when I've looked into this, most scholars seem to lean more towards the post-tribulational view. Okay, so how do we reconcile this? What are we supposed, again, it's interpretations and explanations of man. What are we supposed to go with? How about we reconcile it like this? Who are we cheering for? Not a trick question. Eh? Who are we cheering for? Let me hear it. Pre-tribulationists, pre-tribulationists. Come on, we want our banners. We want to be like waving that flag. How awesome would it be if Jesus comes just poof, Jesus appears, the dead in Christ raised, and there we go up in the clouds before the beast is revealed, before the tribulation begins. I want that. I'd love it. Fantastic. Thank you, Lord. But what if the post-tribulationist view is in fact the correct one? Okay, and the interpretation, explanation. Then, friends, certainly as elders, as shepherds, we, our job is to prepare the church. Again, along with Jesus, we want people to be prepared. People who have strong character and unwavering faith. And no matter what we go through in life, I mean, this could happen way down the road. But even what we're facing right now, what Donnie shared with us two weeks, that we keep on following, that we don't abandon our faith. We remain steadfast in faith. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep moving forward with Him. And even if it means that the church does have to go through the tribulation along with the rest of the world, that again, we are unwavering in faith. We follow Jesus all the way through right to the end. I forgot to mention it this morning, but one, one bit of good news is if the, if the post-tribulational view is the correct one and we go through it, then you know the return of Jesus is very soon, okay? Because it is a shorter period of time, relatively speaking. So, as I come in for a landing today, I want to remind you again, when we speak of end times, it's not doom and gloom for God's children. It really, really isn't, okay? As bad as the tribulation would be, and my understanding is that right to the end, those who are following Jesus can face martyrdom, just like 
Most of the church, the, the majority, the majority of Christians right now on planet Earth are facing some form of severe persecution. Um, we have great freedom in our country. You don't recognize that. We don't always, I think we're not always grateful enough for the measure of freedom we have to worship Jesus and to proclaim the gospel in this nation. So Christians have been and will be martyred right through to the very end. But the church is not wiped out before Jesus returns. We've got to get this right. Paul said they're going to be living, breathing Christians coming up into the clouds to meet Jesus when he returns. And remember too that God is in control ultimately, even during something like the tribulation. Remember too that God's wrath is not going to be poured out on his children. Friends, I'm going to say this again. It's so important. God's wrath is not going to be poured out on his children, even during the tribulation. Why? Because that happened at Calvary. Jesus had the wrath of the Father poured out on him for our sins. We're forgiven. We're not going to have God's wrath poured out on us, even if we are alive during the tribulation. So how can that work? And some have pointed to a lesson we could learn from the, the ten plagues that fell upon Egypt before the exodus took place. And this is a view I quite like, I must tell you. So it works like this. Remember the Israelites experienced the first three plagues. They also had like gnats and stuff like that. They saw water turn to blood, etc. Alright? But what about the last seven? What about those plagues? Okay? While Pharaoh and the Egyptians were getting havoc by plagues, that actually got a whole lot worse, especially leading up to the death of the firstborn, the firstborn male, the, the tenth plague. Okay? Whilst Egypt was experiencing what was happening in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were, God was shielding them and protecting them. I mean, it must have been an incredible thing. Like, for example, the rest of Egypt in darkness, this area, poof, it has light. Livestock and whatever you're dying all the way around here. Yeah, yeah, they've got all their livestock. So, you know what I'm saying? God shielded them and He protected them. Friends, I believe this. I really do. Is that there are going to be followers of Christ who, if they're going through that time of tribulation, are going to experience supernatural protection, deliverance, and provision of God. I truly believe that. I really, really do. Because they're not going to be punished along with the world. Our punishment fell on Jesus at Calvary. Are you with me? I'm not saying we won't be affected at all if we're alive in those times, but I believe there's going to be a whole lot of shielding protection and provision in God, even for those who choose to keep following Jesus, even through a time like that, as intense as it's going to be. Are you with me? Bottom line is this, when it comes to the future and even the end times, we are not called to live in fear, friends. We are not. That's not the spirit that God has given us. We don't have to fear the future because of Jesus and because of the one who is returning for us and holds everything together. We're going to continue looking at this next week, so I'd love to pray with you right now. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Our Lord, we just thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. We thank you that you're in control. That all the way through to the very end, Lord, you have ordained how things will happen and when they will happen. And you have perfect knowledge in that regard. And Lord, we acknowledge that today. We want to grow in understanding you. Yours is the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. But we recognize, Lord, that only you have 100% accurate, clear knowledge when it comes to the how and the when, the nuts and bolts, the details. And help us, Lord, to, we, we don't want to be swayed also by so much of the stuff that's out there. There's so many different types of interpretation and explanations. It can be overwhelming sometimes. But our job, above all else, is to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, and also to hold fast to the, the clear truths, the clear details that are provided for us in Scripture, and especially in scriptural prophecy. We pray for the Lord that you will guide us and lead us. And even now, Lord, if, if there's any fear in hearts here today, Maybe not just only about end times, but even this time that we're going through. Lord, we pray now for the outpouring of your love. Your perfect love casts out fear. I pray even now for that sense of your arms around us, Father. You hold us 
We're in the palm of your hand. You sustain us. You didn't only create us. Even now, every breath we have is ordained by you. Thank you for the confidence that we can have for what lies ahead of us. No matter how challenging it may be to know that you are God with us. You are our shield, our fortress. You are our provider. You are our protector. You are the way maker. And Lord, we just thank you today that you would enable us, grace us to live without fear as we look down the road and all the way to your return, King Jesus. We pray for this now. Let us be encouraged today as Paul urged the church. And we want to encourage us, each other today with the fact that you are coming back again. And on that note, friends, as we were just finishing off in worship today, I just felt God ask that question today. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of the King? Paul was living ready, and that's what he encourages us to do as well, that we are ready for the return of King Jesus. But are you ready today, my friend? Even perhaps as you watch online, wherever you are today, or whenever you see this, are you ready for the return of Jesus? You see, Jesus Christ was our substitute. We either have to be punished for our own sins, we all sin, and there are consequences for it, or we need a substitute, someone to take our place. And God provided His own Son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. And then He was crucified in our place. He suffered and died so that we could be completely forgiven and have life everlasting. And today I would love to give you the opportunity to make right with God, which can only happen through faith in His Son, Jesus. Or perhaps you once walked with God, but you know you've wandered far away. And I'm not just talking about a bad week or so. You, you know that like that prodigal, you've, you've lived in a distant land, far from God. And today you want to make right again with Him. You are forgiven as it were, but you want again to rededicate, recommit your life to Jesus. So would you also join us in praying today? I'm going to pray slowly. Pray this from your heart and mean it with all your heart and say, Jesus Christ, I call on your name to save me. I confess that I've sinned against you, God. I know I've done wrong. And today, I ask you to forgive me completely. I turn away from the life I've been living to follow you, Jesus, as my Lord and my King. I receive your forgiveness now. And I thank you that I'm adopted into your family as a child of God that I'm a citizen in your kingdom forever. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit, for opening up the Bible to me, and for giving me grace to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just as we're in this place, I just want to encourage you today, if you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to tell at least three other Christians that you know and, and mature believers who can encourage you and can help you. And that whether you're in this church or if you're watching online, it's, it might be another, but that you are part of a local church where you can be encouraged and supported and you can move forward. Because it's not just an insurance policy. Son. This is life everlasting with God. I want to encourage you to join a local church where you can grow and not just be blessed, but you can grow to be a blessing in and through that church. Please do that. All right. Now I want to extend that question to us, friends, as we're in this place today. Are you ready? But now you might say yes with full conviction, as we should be able to. We should be able to say with full assurance, I'm ready for the return of Jesus. But now I want us to lift our eyes to those around us, family members, relatives, friends, neighbors, work colleagues, school friends, whoever they might be. And can we, how do we feel about it? We know that there are going to be many people around us who are not ready 
for the return of Jesus. Actually, the return of Jesus would be a day of dread for them right now with where they're at. And I just feel, friends, that I shared this earlier as well. In our, at our prayer meeting yesterday, I felt like the Lord just stirred this in my heart. Again, the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to pursue that one lost sheep. And I think, friends, sometimes we can almost rationalize that a bit. We can almost come with like a business sort of a mindset and think, you know, hey, we stock loss 1%. That's not the worst. It's still got 99. You know, that's kind of okay. We almost rationalize things like that sometimes, don't we? And we can become blase. But what if we use this example? Imagine meeting a family who had 10 children and one of those kids goes missing. They lost. And the parents saying, oh, well, you know what? We've got nine still. Eh? We're not doing too bad. I mean, that would shock us, friends. We'd think, oh, how can you be so blase? How can you, how unloving could you be? And yet, friends, I, I honestly believe God's heart burns for that one, that one that is lost, that one that Jesus has already given his life for. And so we certainly haven't reached a place where there are more than enough, both in our church, in our, in our city church, in the church of this nation, in the church of this world. There are so many more who still need to come home to the Father through Jesus Christ. As new believers, as disciples, as prodigals who need to come home. And I want to pray today for us that we... We would have that question on our hearts as we look at the world around us, and especially those we have a relationship and influence with, that it wouldn't just be a thing of blase. Well, hope they make it one day. Hope, hope someone shares the good news with them. Lord, we want to pray today that you'd stir our hearts and that we would be your hands and feet. We would be those who share the good news, the good news about Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom, and also share our testimonies of the difference, the change that you've made in our life as we gave our lives to you and as we continue to live for you and with you. Lord, I want to pray. I mean, this is a condemnation thing today, but Lord, would you just stir our hearts and give us something of the measure of the weight, the urgency that is on your heart, Father, for those who are lost. Open our eyes to the white fields around us, Lord, in the workplace, in our communities, in our families and extended families. Lord, we want to pray that our eyes would be open. We, we know that you alone are the one who saves but there is power in the gospel. There is power in our testimony. And we want to pray, Lord, that you give us boldness and courage to share of you, Jesus Christ, to share the good news of you and your testimony. We pray this today, Lord. We want to see this building full. We want to see churches, Lord, overflowing with people who are running to the King, coming home to the Father through Jesus. We pray, Lord God, for a season ahead of great harvest. We know, Lord, we can't just only pray for others to be sent out. We need to put our own hands up and be available to you. I pray today, Lord, that you give us grace and the leading of your spirit and the boldness to share of you, Jesus, with hearts filled with love as we look at a world around us who is not yet ready for the return of Jesus. We pray this today and ask this in your mighty name, King Jesus. Together we said amen, amen, amen. Wonderful. Good. God bless you guys. Next week we'll carry on. Look at the man of lawlessness, another uh, topic I think that really fascinates us as Christians. But again, there'll be a tw I think there'll be a little twist to it, but I'll keep you in suspense till then. Okay, good. Thank you so much for coming. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us online today. It's been great having you as well. God bless you all. Have an amazing Sunday and a truly blessed week. Amen. Thank you.